0: you have your Bibles, turn, them, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Had a crazy experience. Well, not crazy. It's just God confirming. He's so good to do that. So we were at camp last week, and the original plan, how many know man has his plans? Um, but God kind of can change them when he wants to. So the original plan was we were, we were going to go to camp, and I was going to come back Saturday night after the service and try to preach on Sunday morning, and I mean, that didn't sound great to begin with, but I was going with it. And then um, I, I'm in service Friday night, preparing for last Sunday, just, you know, the Lord's speaking to me, and, I, and, I, and he, he directs me to James chapter 1. Now, you're going to get this in a minute, those of you who were here last week, but... Uh, Takes me to James chapter 1, and I'm like, what? What are you, what are you doing, Lord? What do you want to speak? And, and, uh, and then on Sunday morning before, you know, I, I actually called my, my father. I'm thankful for Pastor John. Come on, can we give you a He was scheduled to preach today. And I said, hey, what do you think about a swap? <laughs> and you preach this week. And so he, he said, yeah, the Lord's already put something in my heart. And then I wake up Sunday morning, and these words hit my heart, testing, trials, and triumph. Okay, and then I tune into the service while we're packing up from camp, and he brings to James 1. He goes, boom. Isn't God good? And so he's speaking, and he's confirming, and, and uh, if you weren't here last week, amazing message from Pastor John on passing the test. I know, just the word test brings anxiety in our hearts sometimes. <laughs> like I still have nightmares of college and, and waking up too late to miss an exam. Come on. Just that, 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 that anxiety, that buildup that comes when you know a test is before you. But I believe the Lord is highlighting this for us because he's preparing us. You guys got quiet. He's preparing us. The Holy Spirit always shows us things to come, and he wants us to be ready. And I believe, I believe we're in a time of testing, and I know you're not going to shout and praise the Lord for that. But, but we can count it all joy. We encounter it all joy when we encounter various trials, is what James once said, what Pastor preached on last week, because in the midst of that trial, God does some good things. Yes. Now, he may not be the author of that trial. He may not bring it, but he will cause it to work for good because we love him, we're called according to his purpose, and he is building in us endurance and patience. See, if you're going to make it in the season that we're in, you're going to have to have some endurance and patience. How many believe that? And... Uh, Patience isn't my strongest suit, but the Lord's working on me. Come on. We were sitting in traffic coming back from camp. It was like an hour delay. I think half of Washington State was moving back from the east to the west. And uh, we're sitting there, and I see this, you know, I, 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 uh, but, you know, stop and go traffic. I can actually take a longer path as long as we keep moving. Anyone feel that way? And so I saw, hey, there's a detour here that goes around this whole mess, and it's more scenic. Let's take that route, you know. And it ended up working out for our good, which was great. But uh, yeah, he's working in us patience, and he's working in us endurance, and so that we can make it. Because this is not a sprint; it's a marathon. It's a marathon, and so we need the strength. And so through that, Pastor said, "Hey, they're gonna you're gonna have trials. That's a guarantee." Um, Pastor John also said, Well, what are you going to do in the trial? Are you going to try to escape? Are you going to try? God brings testing sometimes to us, but when God brings testing, it's for good. And and, uh, we're going to learn this morning. I'm going to take us to the second part of James chapter 1. And I just feel like the Lord wants us to camp in the book of James. It's relevant to the time we're in right now. And just to recap on some of the things from last week, but who is James? James was. The, we believe the brother uh, he was the brother of Jesus, and we believe the author of this book and he' he was the the leader in Jerusalem over the jewish christians and here they are he 's speaking to them they 've been dispersed the Bible says they were scattered throughout all of asia and and because of the persecution because of what 's happening in jerusalem and, and as pastor shared last week, they had many of those who had been dispersed had lost their inheritance had lost their families, had lost everything, and now they were Immersed in a whole different culture than they were used to being in. Can we just relate to that this morning? Some of you have been scattered, right? God scattered you into places, but He has a purpose in it. And there's, we're in a season, even in the broader church, that God is. There's movement going on. That there's scattering going on, but that. And some of you are new to this place, and maybe it's a new experience for you. Welcome, all right. But God has a purpose in it. Amen. And he brought forth a law that, that the influence of the gospel went forth into all these places where they were scattered. So there was a good thing, but there were some challenges in it that, that he's addressing, and he's addressing it from a very pastoral heart of love to these people. And you you'll look at another characteristic of the book of James is there's a lot of imperatives. That means must-dos. He's not suggesting, right? James does not mince words. He speaks strongly. Because, but he didn't speak strongly from a place of condemnation or from a place of, you know, coming down. I mean, James was a man who spent a lot of time on his knees. Uh, legend you know, History tells us that he was a man who prayed so much he had calluses on his knees. He was a man who eventually, uh, we're told, was martyred in, in 62 AD, and he was thrown off a building and beaten. right? And in the process of that, he prayed like Jesus did, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So this is the man writing this book. He's writing from a place of compassion. He's writing from a place of, I want you to make it. Come on, turn to somebody this morning and say, I want you to make it. And he's, he's addressing some issues that I think are still relevant today, right? They were, you know, the issue of really living out our faith, not just professing, but possessing what God wants us to, what we really believe living out our faith, having right perspective on trials and tribulations. You know, they, they had issues of being partial, partial to rich. So he addresses that. He addresses worldliness. He addresses the, the power of the tongue. How many know the tongue's got some power? We'll get to that. He deals with deception, division, strife, selfish desires, materialism, how to pray effectively. Does anyone, does this sound familiar? Right? The church is still dealing with these things, and the common denominator in all of this is spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. He wants us to grow in him. Amen? Not just stay where we're at, not stay stagnant, but he's doing a work in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure, and and he is bringing us to a place of spiritual maturity, and we can't stay where we're at if we're going to make it. So it's a challenge to us to grow. And that's, if you look at the book of James, that's the general focus. And so there was, there's specific relevance to us today. The goal of the Christian life is spiritual formation, or maybe I put it this way, Christ formation. Christ formation. That's what he's doing in us. In Galatians 4.19, Paul prayed this. He said, my children... With whom I again am in labor until Christ is formed in you. He's in labor. There's like this prayer. There's this yearning. There's this work that he's doing. And it's all so that Christ may be formed in you. That's the prayer. That's the heart of God. And then in Romans 8, 29, he says, We've been predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Like when they called them Christians in the early days, that was not a compliment. That was to say they were little Christs, and, it was, to, and, and it, was a, it was derogatory. But how many are glad to wear that this morning? Come on. You can call me Christian. I'm glad. If, 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 if it's a surprise to you I'm a Christian, that's a problem. Then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.18, he says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. You see, that's what we're doing in worship. You guys, you with me still? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. You say, well, I looked in the mirror this morning. I don't look any different, or maybe I look different but not in a good way. But you're being transformed, whether you see it or not. Sometimes it takes other Christians around us to go, hey, I see God working in your life. Come on. I see the change. I see the transformation that's happening. See, where you're at, you may not see it because you're like, well, I just see myself still in the same place. But God's working at you more than you know. And that's a good thing. And we ought to also know this. I've learned this, that everything in, God can use everything in my life to help with this spiritual formation. Marriage. Let me just tell you, God will use that. Come on. Iron sharpening iron. How many gentlemen you can say your wives have been sharpening you? Come on. He'll use parenting. Woo, Yeah. You're like, the pressure's on and some things come out that don't need to when I'm parenting and God's working on me. Anybody say amen? Amen. He'll use your job, your coworkers. He'll use... I'm not saying he's making them do all that stuff, but hey, it's all revealing some stuff in us, right? All right? Now, if you squeeze, I've said this before, but it bears repeating, you squeeze an apple, you expect apple juice. You squeeze an orange. You expect. All right. You're with me. Good. It's like Sunday school. Come on. All right. You, spe- you squeeze a Christian. You expect Christ. Come on. We get pressed. We get. We're not crushed. Come on. Anybody. That's what's coming out. I, I, I mean, I hope that's what's coming out. If it's not, I'm going to be right here. Come on. All right. So there's pressures. God said, Pastor said last week, pressures have a good, can have a good work in us. Pressed but not crushed. Persecuted, not abandoned. Struck down but not. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on. All right. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let's read it together. And 14. Let no one say when he is tempted... I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away. Somebody say carried away. And enticed by his own lust. Now, James is connecting two things. Trials, temptations, these words are kind of inter- they're interchangeable. But here are different meanings between what he says at the beginning of the chapter, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, and here in temptations, right? So how many know when you're going through something and you're under the pressure that you can be tempted in a different way? you're, You're tempted to fall into unbelief. You're tempted to... Maybe give an occasion to the flesh because you've been going through it and your flesh just needs a break. Anybody? Yeah, right. You're tempted to do your own thing. Yeah. You're tempted to give up and not endure to the end. You're tempted to question God. You're tempted to question His love for you, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. His goodness, His faithfulness. You're, t- you're tempted to believe that I can do this thing and it won't be harmful. You see, this is different. Let me tell you, God tests you for your good. The enemy tempts you to bring out your worst. He tempts you to bring out, but God is at work for your good. And so, if He asks Abraham, "I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac," you're like, "Well, that sounds terrible." He's the promised one. I mean, all this good stuff. But God was testing. Now I see. Now I see, that is what the Lord said. And so sometimes he wants us to see. Yeah, right. yep. See, you've been wavering, the enemy's coming out, the accuser's coming out, you saying you can't make it, all this stuff, and then he brings a test and you hold on and faith come on somebody and you keep trusting God yep. and then we see, oh, there was more in me than I thought. Yep. I got squeezed and some Christ came out of me. Yes, Amen. So it's the same root word here, but it's got different context. To, and so there's trials, there's outward trials, but inward temptation is really what's being called out here. And so this morning I want to share with you a few keys, I believe, to overcoming temptations. I want to, how many of you, know you turn to somebody and say, I want, you, I want to see you make it. If we're going to grow and mature in Christ as he tends for intends for us we need to learn how to overcome these temptations that's God's plan for us so number one is we got to recognize the source of temptation recognize the source and and we note that James doesn't call out the world James doesn't call out the devil we've we've been there the devil made me do it he says the source each one of you is tempted when he is carried away and enticed, right? And when you look at these words, carried away, you know, James was in a, from Galilee, he was in a fishing community. So it has some context and, 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 and it, it paints a picture of what happens when a fish is lured. Carried away, like the fish is just swimming along and sees that, whew, see what I'm saying? And gets off their course and goes, moves towards this bait. And the enticed is the taking the bait. And so it also points to this picture that's in Proverbs chapter 7 of the, of the adulterous woman, the, the, the harlot who, who, who tricks and entices young men at night who are coming by to come in and, have, and, and enjoy and drink of love all night. So it's that kind of enticing, carrying away is what he says. You've been carried away and enticed by your own lusts that are in you. So sometimes we get hooked. We fall for the bait because we see the bait, but underneath that bait is a hook. You getting the picture this morning? And we look at the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And what it says of Eve in Eve the temptation there, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. There, see, you see the drawn away, carried away, and then enticed. And then eating. So you see the, the process. And you know, when God comes to bring them to account and say, what happened here? All right, let's look at, let's look at Adam's response. And gentlemen, learn from this. What not to do. <laughs> the man says, the woman whom, this is the worst, whom you gave me. This is, he's, he's not even just blaming her. He's like, you gave me this lady. I was asleep. And I wake up, you gave her to me. This is, yeah. She made me, she gave from the tree and I ate. Let me just say something to you this morning. If you don't own it, you'll condone it. If you don't own it, if we don't own it, we'll condone it. If we don't recognize that what's drawing me to this is something in here that God, we want to give to the Lord and say, Lord, help me out here. If we don't own it, we'll condone it. And so we keep making excuses for sins. We will keep on struggling. Overcoming starts with owning it. And that's the place of repentance. I can't blame so and so. I can't blame their influence or this or that. I own it. It's me, Lord. Now, there may be other factors beneath that. There's a root in there that God has to get to. There may be generational things, but you have to own it before any of that can start happening. And I say you, I say we. For out of the heart, Matthew 15, 19, Jesus calls it out, right? He says, puts it simple. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts. False witness, slanders. Ouch! We have to get out of the blame game. We live in a culture, a society, a time, and an age where everything everybody wants to blame somebody else for their problems. Everybody wants to blame. There's no ownership. There's no personal responsibility. In a culture that lives like that, we'll quickly self-destruct. That's not how God intends for us to be. So let's keep reading in James chapter one. He says, Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Number two, reconsider your course. So, one, recognize the source. Number two, reconsider your course. Have you ever gone down a path not knowing where it went? Gabe and I did. <laughs> not a great outcome. So we are, we decided we were on the last day of vacation. All right. We're on the last day of vacation, the last night of vacation. And Gabe, Gabe is uh, loves mountain biking. And we were, the place where we were camping was not far from a very renowned mountain bike park. And, uh, it's after dinner. I'm thinking, oh, maybe we're tired. Nope, we're going to go. All right. So we go. Park's open at 830. I don't know this place. It's new to me. And uh, that was part of the problem. Um, but we had to climb up this long hill to get to the top of the trail that we wanted to go down. And I'm looking at this map. And this map says, that's a blue trail. Now, in, if you ski or you do these things, you know that means intermediate. Okay, that's our jam. That's what we do. We don't do advanced, no, okay? And so we kept, but we're going up the hill. It's a long climb. It's getting, we're getting tired of this climb, and then we see this guy, and he's going down a cool trail right off the side, and we're like, Gabe's like, let's do it with them, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. We don't have to keep climbing, right? And um, so we're hanging out with him for a while, Then then Gabe says, hey, or we kind of just both agreed together. We're both equally, um, I'm an accomplice in this, and and I, I, we, we said, let, let's go down the rest of the trail. Yeah, because it looks cool. And uh, so mistake number one, I didn't recognize that you had to double click on that little digital map. And it would have said diamond. So that trail was more advanced than we knew. All right. And then number, number two, parental mistake, I let Gabe go in front of me. And so he's he's such a good sport, and he's such he's so he's such an adrenaline junkie. I love my son, and uh, he's going, and we're just progressively going down. And these these things are getting these uh, features in this trail are getting more and more advanced. And I'm getting a little bit nervous. And then as we're going, he he goes over this like tabletop thing, and he I just see him depart from his bike. I'm like, oh. All of a sudden, everything's come back to me. Why did we go down this trail? Why didn't I click on that? Why did I let him go in front? And he's flying over his handlebars, and he disappears on the other side, and I hear this loud crash, and I'm just like, dear Jesus, what am I going to find? And uh, gets to the other side, and not a good scene. He's not breathing very well. He's he's injured very badly, and... um, uh, turns out he broke his collarbone, so he's recovering. And we believe God's healing him. Amen. <laughs> so how many know God takes care of us even when it's our mistakes? And he still loves us. I'm thankful for that. Um, but you see, there was a number of things going on there, right? We didn't want to go the hard way. We didn't want to climb all the way, all that work. Number two, we didn't consider investigating the trail a little more. Like, where does this lead? What kind of trail is this, right? That was a mistake. And some, you can see this in our spiritual walk. Because then the path the Lord has us on is a narrow path. And sometimes it's not easy. It's tough to do it's, it, there's a reason there's only a few going by. The wide path is the one that everybody goes by to destruction. Are you with me? It's just easier to take the wide path. It's easier to divert from this path. And so that temptation happens. You know, you know When we don't consider the consequences, the, the judgment, the, the misery that happens if we take the bait, if we go down that trail. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end in the way, its end is the way of death. Twice in Proverbs. I think we need to pay attention if that passage is twice in Proverbs. Hey, don't take the way that seems right. Its end is death. It's got double diamonds on this thing. Don't take it. So here is the course of temptation first it starts with desire listen God gave you desires that are good desires in and of of themselves are not bad God puts God-given desires in us he's given us desires as humans come on we need to eat we need to sleep we have good sexual desires that need to be met in the context of marriage come on we have desires Then they in and of themselves are not bad, but it's when we choose to try to fulfill this desire outside of God's will. It's when we try to go outside of the provision he's made for us because he has the best, but we sometimes just think or convinced that he doesn't. The garden, see, they were allowed to eat of all those trees in the garden. There was just one, come on, one they could not eat of. I mean, they had everything. They had fellowship, they had provision. They had, I mean, you want to see God's will and purpose for mankind? Don't look at what's happening now. Look at the garden. That's the original design. Fellowship, relationship, paradise, every provision there. No, No sin, no. Garbage! Come on. No sickness. Come on, somebody. That's his plan. But they, that one tree, they couldn't do that. So number two is one's desire. The second step is deception. See, we, we start to believe a lie. She's, he's, she said, hey, no, and the Lord told us if we eat of this tree, we shall surely die. And the enemy comes and says, you will not die. You won't die if you do that. There's the lie. There's the deception that we give in. No, 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 he's, he's trying to hold back on you. You see, he knows if you eat of this tree, you'll, you'll be knowledgeable like him. You'll know good and evil. Oh, maybe, right? You'll be like him and see, wait, they were already made in the image of God. They didn't, what? Why give into that? You see my testimony growing up, being in church and thinking I was missing out. The enemy convinced me I was missing out. There's, the grass is greener over on the other side. It is not. Let me just testify to you this morning. It's garbage, all right? It's a hot mess. It's a no. Don't recommend, all right? It's a deception. It's a lie. And then comes disobedience. He says when sin... Or when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. See, it's a desire married to wickedness or rebellion brings forth lust. And then it gives birth to sin. You see, you think about it and you're like, wait, maybe that is good. You know, I need that really bad, so I should do this or that. Come on. Uh, I'm going I'm to confess a terrible, terrible example in my life of this. As when I was in high school and I was skiing one night. And um, man, this is so embarrassing. But I, here, guys. Um, and I had like $4, $3 in my wallet. And at the end of that night, I was so hungry. See, that's an okay desire to be hungry. What's... And then I said, well, I need a sandwich, but the sandwich is more than I have in my wallet. I know, Grace is doing one of these. Yeah, face palm, right? I got it. She knows this story. Sandwich is more than it's in my wallet, and you know, I'm hungry, and you know, they won't, I mean, they're going to throw these things at the end. Of the, come on. I start justifying, and so I slipped that sandwich right back here, and I bought something with my $2, thinking I was being crafty. I know, you're pastor. I know. <laughs> and then... I went out to the parking lot, I kid you not, we're eating this sandwich and I'm like so hungry and uh, I see these people walking up with, uh, you know, ski resort gear on. They're like, hey, did you pay for that sandwich? With this one? No, but I paid for something else. I figured we to throw it away and all that. No, come with us to the office. I got a ticket, I went to court, this was terrible. Embarrassing, awful for two dollars. Come on, so don't do that. All right, but you see that you justify things, you get deceived into it, right? That I can do this thing, uh, that, I, that it's, it's, I deserve this. Come on, your flesh is just screaming out, so I need this thing. Nobody's gonna know, it's not that big a deal. And we don't, we don't think about the whole course and that you're gonna get where that leads. I didn't think about 25 years, 30 years later, I'd be standing in front of you confessing this embarrassing, terrible story, all right? So, but it's, it's like it is and, it, and it, there's disobedience. We act upon it and then, number, then he says it leads to death and this word in the widest sense is there's three types of death in scripture. There's spiritual death which is separation from God. It's out of relationship with God. There's Physical death, when we leave this body, and there's eternal death, which is in hell, damnation. Right? And this is the path, he's saying, when you give in to temptation, it's going to go down this path. If you don't stop it, if you don't repent, if you don't turn, if you don't change your ways, it's leading to this destructive, death, deadly path. You see, before that, he gives us the positive path. He says, if you endure the trial, if you trust God, if you believe in faith, if you'll be with him and through the trial, you'll get the crown of life. You see, that's the, that's the good one, and he contrasts it to this path. Consider the course. Now, I, I think of David and Bathsheba. You know, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he's out on the porch one day, and the Bible says it was in the spring when the kings were supposed to be at battle, but he wasn't at battle. He was hanging on the porch, relaxing. And while he's relaxing, and in this posture, he sees Bathsheba bathing, and he's like, "Whoa!" Now, see, he saw her first, but then it says he beheld her. Yeah. Gentlemen, yeah. second look gets you. That's right. He could it should have been like one of these. Yeah. Are you with me? But he beheld her, and then he inquires, and then he got her, and he slept with her, and then, and then the, the path follow the path. There's the pregnancy. There's the death of the baby. There's the killing of Uriah the Hittite. There's the the chaos that happens in his family as a result of this sin. This sin had massive, far-reaching consequences for his family, for the nation. Come on. It all started with a thought. It all started with a moment. Ooh, if I could just have that. I mean, David had everything. He didn't think about where this would all lead, the destruction, incest in his own family, murder in his family. The sword would never depart from his family. His actions gave occasion, the Bible says, to the enemies to blaspheme the Lord of Israel. You see that? We don't think about the far-reaching consequences of our small little thing. Whew. That's why he's saying, hey, Consider the source, recognize the source, but reconsider your course. And then he goes on, look at the, it's been said this. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. You see, we reap what we sow, don't be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption. All right? Almost there. Number three, every good thing given. Ooh, all right? These are, you know, he starts with a negative warning, right? Sometimes that's what we listen to. I don't want to do that. We are deterred by the consequence. But then he turns here to a positive reason not to give in to the temptation. Every good thing given. Somebody say every. And every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Hallelujah. 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 Every good gift. So number three, and this seems simple. This seems simple. You're saying, hey, we go to church every Sunday and we say this a lot, God is good. But we gotta remember his goodness. Because when you're in the trial, the temptation is to question it. You know, we sing, you are good, and, but I often wonder, do we really believe it? And the test of that is when we're, not, when we're not good, when things aren't good, that we still believe he's still good. That we still trust his goodness. That we don't question his role in it. You see, the Bible says he, God is not tempted by evil, and he can't tempt, and he won't tempt anyone else. You see, there's nothing in God that is drawn to this thing. See, Jesus was tempted in all ways, but that was really referring to his testing. But he said this. He said, "The the, the tempter is coming. In chapter 14 of John, he says, but he has nothing in me. He has nothing in me. Okay, I got off track. But listen, Nathan says this to David when he calls him out. Nathan the prophet, I mean, he comes and he brings him this parable. And he says, what if this happened? And David said, oh, we're going to kill that. That man deserves to die. Nathan says to David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 through 8, he says, David, you are the man. Woo. Remember, own it or you'll condone it. But see, David, the Bible also says about David that he had a heart after God, that he was a man with a heart after God. God saw him, God saw his heart. He wasn't destroyed. But there was consequences. It says, you are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. Come on. I also gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, wait for it. I would have added to you many more things like these. Why would you go outside of my provision? Why would you go outside of my goodness? I've given you everything you need. That was it. Look how good God's been to you. Look how faithful God's been to you. He's never failed you. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. Why would you need to go elsewhere? You see, had David sat in that moment and considered the goodness of God? I don't need that. I mean, this is just a moment of the flesh. I don't need to give up because that moment's going to turn into hours and days and lifetime of impact. Esau getting his little porridge to give up his birthright for a moment for the flesh. A moment that has a lifetime of consequence. I love Joseph's response to here he is in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's made him ruler over everything, and Potiphar's wife is after him. And she's coming strong, and she's been boom, boom, just coming at him. And she's not subtle. She's like, sleep with me. Yeah, she's not subtle. But see, his he recognized that God through Potiphar had given him everything in the house. Except Potiphar's wife. So he says, How then, in Genesis chapter 39, verse 9, he says, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? That's it. He owned it. And he says, I'm not just going to be sinning against Potiphar. I'm not just going to be sinning against you. I'm not going to be I'm sinning against God. Because God's been good to me. And I don't need to go outside of what he's provided. Come on, church. Satan's temptation in the garden is question the goodness and character of God. Let me just say a few things about what God gives. One, he gives every good and perfect gift. Matthew seven eleven says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And he's, that verse is repeated in the context of the Holy Spirit. Is there a better gift than the Holy Spirit? Come on, church. But he says, if you, know, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts. Listen, as a parent, you don't give the same gifts to every kid, you know things about that kid the uniqueness, their personality, what they like, what they need. I mean, know you gave them all the same thing, right? That's not a good gift. They're like, that's not what they got. A good gift takes into account who you are. And God knows you more than anyone else knows you. The Bible says in Psalm 139, he knows your thoughts from afar. He is intimately acquainted with your ways. He knows you like nobody knows you. He knows how you were framed and formed in your mother's womb. He knows your personality. He knows your inclinations. He knows exactly what you need. So he gives the perfect gift. Why would you settle for a second best? Why would you settle for something other than his perfect gift? That's the goodness of God. Maybe you're single and you're waiting for a spouse. Don't settle. Give this choice to him. I'm standing here testifying this morning. When I did that, I got the best. Come on. And it's true for all of us. If we'll give that choice to him, you'll get the best. Don't settle. Don't seek to fulfill that desire outside of what he's provided, outside of his will. And then it says in Psalm 84, 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. Man, if you weren't here two weeks ago, Pastor John, Seekus message on glory. Come on. That was powerful. But it says here, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. See, if we'll walk uprightly, in the path, in the course that he has, we won't be missing out on a thing. And that counters the enemy's line. What, is it, what do you do? How do you respond when the enemy comes and says he's, he's holding back on you? You got to do what Jesus did. You got to pull out the sword of the word. Come on. No, he said, no, devil, this is what, my word, what his word says. It says that he will not withhold any good thing from those who walk uprightly. So I'm thankful. And shut his mouth shut his mouth Second Peter 1 3 see that his divine power has granted to us some things are you reading with me everything pertaining to life and godliness everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own there it is glory and excellence you gotta remember who you are you're called for glory You're not called for corruption. You're not called for death and destruction. You're called for glory. Whoo, you got. Maybe some of you need to wake up in the morning and say, I'm called for glory. I'm not taking that path. I'm too good for that. You can say that. How he gives. You see, it says, the Father of lights coming down from the Father's lights. This is present perfect, it's constant. He's constantly giving. Whether you recognize it or we recognize it at all, God is constantly giving to us. Do you know what it means? To acknowledge him in all our ways is acknowledge that God is constantly giving. That I'm not lacking any good thing. That I have everything that pertains to life and godliness. Why would I seek something outside of that? You see, it's the realization of his word and the truth of his promises, come on, that keeps us in that place. He gives freely. Look at Romans 8.32. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I hope you'll take this and meditate on it. In Romans 8.32, he says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he also, not also, with him, freely, somebody say freely, freely give us all things. Do you believe that? He's not holding back. He's freely giving. And he's giving without reproach. He doesn't give it to you then make you feel guilty about what he gave you. Come on. Just be thankful. You know those ten lepers that Jesus healed and he sent them away to give a testimony to the priest and only one came back? Right? It says the, the ten, the, the nine The rest of them all went away healed, but the one who came back came was made whole and thanked him. Acknowledge, thanking God, recognizing his goodness, remember his goodness. See, here's another reason. He never changes. His character and who he is never changes. There are actually places in scripture where he changes his mind concerning things, but he never changes. Father of lights, this was speaking to celestial lights that light the sky, the sun, the moon, the stars. Even when it's dark, come on, it's not the fault of the sun. The earth is turned away from it. Come on. So when we're in darkness, it's not because he, sh- he quits shining. He turned away from it. He's the father of lights. He never stops shining. It's eternal. It's continual. You see, everything in our life is changing. I look in the mirror, I'm changing. I look at my kids, they're changing. I look at this world, it's changing and not for good. I look, the church is changing. The circumstances are changing. My job's changing, come on. Everything around us has changed. The one thing guaranteed in life and constant is change. But there's one constant in all, it's him. He never changes. See, I don't have to approach him and thinking that he he's changed, and I'm not sure how to ask him. How aren't you thankful that he's not capricious? Aren't you thankful this morning that he says you can come to me if you believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who give, who seek him diligently? I'm thankful he hasn't changed. This world's changed. We've been in chaos. We've been in crisis. We've been in uncertainty, but God's still certain. God's still on the throne, and He has not changed. He's my anchor behind the veil when all of it's whipping around. He's he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Jesus Christ. And his plan for us is good. You see in the extra James 1:18 almost finished. He says in the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Oh, I want you just sometimes you just got to meditate in the exercise of his will. That's his desire expressed, his desire. See, God has desires. God has desires, and he wants us to have his desires. You see, if you'll delight in his goodness, Psalm 37, 4 says, he'll give you his desires. That's a transformation, because I used to desire gross things. I used to desire selfish things. Are you with me? And see, the reason I might be drawn to something is because there's still a desire in me that's lingering. That's not good. But when I start meditating on I start worshiping, I start praising, I start recognizing his goodness, his faithfulness, his unchangeableness, then I'm changed. And my perspective changes. See, in his exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits amongst his creatures. Do you you realize that a born-again believer is the crown of his creation? Do you realize that all of creation is eagerly groaning and awaiting the manifestation of the sons of God, the daughters of God? He brought us forth by the word. Ooh, I like that. Then you can look yourself in the mirror and say, "I'm too good for that. I don't need to go down that path." Some of the, some of the times we're we're given to temptation because we believe the devil's lie about accusing us and bringing us down and tearing us down, and so we think, "Well, what's the word? It doesn't matter. I'm already garbage." God says, you're the crown of my creation. You're the apple of my eye. I see you. You're of the greatest value to me. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth. Can we have the worship team come? We're gonna close. I ask you this. You see, in Paul describes in Romans 12, he says, the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. That that will of God is so good, acceptable, and perfect as he describes it. We don't want second best. We don't want an alternate. Are you convinced this morning of God's goodness and his good plan for your life? And see, even as I was praying this morning, I, I heard the word ensnared. Like there's some this morning who are right there. It's like the enemy's trapped. That bait is before you, and you've been, you've been mulling this thing over. And maybe that's, you're here. Maybe you're online. I don't know where you're at, but God's speaking this morning to you. He's saying, hey, I've got a different course. Hey, remember my goodness. And maybe you've been ensnared or tempted or maybe you're ready to throw in the towel you're giving up because you're not seeing that promise or whatever it may be come about as you think it should. But see, God's still faithful and he hasn't given up. I said God's still faithful and he hasn't given up. And if you're entrapped or maybe, maybe you've already given into the temptation, you're in a place of condemnation and guilt and shame, I want to tell you this morning, he's able to deliver you. He's able to bring you back into a place of fellowship. The Bible says if, if we will confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He brings us back into that fellowship. He's always reaching out with a redemptive purpose. It's never too late if you have breath this morning. Or you're saying, I'm going through it and it's just been too tough. It's been tough. I want to, I'm just not sure I'm gonna make it. I want to encourage you with this, Hebrews 2:18. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, you see that he was tested in what he suffered. He's able to come to the aid. Some of you need to call up a 911. He's able to come to the aid. Yes of those who are tempted. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Or maybe you've come to question God's goodness, his plan for your life. I wanna call you, I wanna invite you this morning Can we just close our eyes for just a moment?